listening to InRay from Control Risks, the global specialist risk consultancy. Each episode of InRay features insights from experts across the world into the most complex issues facing legal and compliance professionals today. Welcome to the InRay Negotiation Podcast. I'm Christine Soon. I'm Nadia Alexander. And we are your hosts for today. In the last episode, we spoke about who and what for the preparations of a good negotiated outcome. So now we are all prepared for the negotiations. Now I have the most important questions, which is how to get the parties to the negotiation tables. So how do you negotiate without commencing a, a litigations, given negotiations always voluntary and it has to be done based on good faith? Nadia. Well, Christine, one of the interesting things is that even once you've commenced a lawsuit, the vast majority of legal actions settle, right? More than 70% in some jurisdictions, it's more than 80%. I mean, so my question is, why wouldn't you come to the negotiation table earlier if you know statistically you're going to be spending a whole lot more money, getting ready for court, um, have your relationship with the other side deteriorating, only then to settle on the steps of the courthouse. After incur all the costs, right? Indeed. Yeah, but sometimes in certain culture, it will has perceived to be a lost phase, right? Mm-hmm. So if like one side initiate first, why me first? I think that's the key questions. Yeah. So what's your thoughts? Well, about we that? think often that negotiation is voluntary and, you know, and, and I hear you loud and clear. In some cultures, certainly it's seen as a sign of weakness even to make the first overture to start negotiations. Um, but increasingly, some countries and some jurisdictions have, uh, uh, have now tried to incentivize amicable dispute resolution or negotiations by requiring parties to try and sort things out outside of court. So actually, it's easy if there are requirements for you to negotiate before you go to court, and you can find these in legislation or in practice directions, it's easy if you've got it in the contract. For example, a multi-tier dispute resolution clause, which says negotiate first if you have a dispute. If after 21 days you can't sort it out, then you move on to mediation or arbitration or something else. Yeah, that's right. I heard too easy there. Sounds like that's a door to the negotiations and that can help to save face. That's the part about uh, when it's written into the contract, okay, or when it's required by the jurisdictions. So it's easy when it's stated in the contract. It's like clause 25, subsection 2, paragraph 2, and paragraph A says that the party agrees in the event of any disputes, they shall first attempt to resolve the disputes through uh, informal mediations or negotiations by good faith. Okay. But what if there isn't such clause? What's next for the parties? Well, then it's really, you know, it's really a question of going back to your preparation. And that's what we talked about last week. Who is involved? Who can help bring the right parties to the table? I mean, if you, I, I like to work a lot with what I call conflict maps, right? Which set out not just the, you know, the legal parties to the dispute, but the other players in this dispute. Look at where are the alliances, where are the tensions, um, who can we get to help us bring the right parties to the table? This sounds like what we have spoke in the first episode, relationship. It is relationship. Do I need to take someone out to lunch and have an informal conversation with them about coming to the negotiation or about talking to somebody else? 
to invite them to a negotiation. Um, will somebody come to the negotiation uh, only if, for example, a representative of their professional association also attends, for example, as an observer? Yeah, that's true, to show the sincerity, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so actually in that case, it sounds like once you do a homework, you will need to know who needs to be at the table and who can bring the person to the table. Mm-hmm. Is that right? But what do they need to do, right, to be okay to attend the negotiation? Well, I think we really need to think about, you know, when people come to the table, in what capacity are they coming, right? Are they coming in the capacity as a, uh, you know, as, as general counsel or as CEO of an organization or in a private capacity or as a representative of a, a professional organization, for example, um, and what is their role? So, for example, um, I once worked with uh, negotiating parties where the CEO of one of the parties did not want to attend the negotiations, okay. did, not want, did not want to be there. And that was in part, I think, due to cultural con- considerations. But the other side didn't think they were t- being taken seriously unless he attended, right? And so we had a series of meetings and discussions and in the end he agreed to attend but in effectively an observer role, right? He wasn't required to speak. He didn't think he was going to be put on the spot. Um, You know, I I think he was also personally nervous about language issues and didn't necessarily want to show that. So that was a way that we got parties to the table and we thought about in, you know, in in what role? Observer, active participant, um, expert advisor. That's right. That's right. Another option that I can think of is also um, sharing the agenda with the other party in advance. Also sharing the invited list of like who will attend, who will attend the negotiations, right? So when you share the agenda, that shouldn't be a fixed agenda. It's an agenda that allows room for negotiations. So you try to get the other party's input to set, to pin down on the agenda. Is that right? Well, you know, I, I really, I couldn't agree more. And sometimes when I'm working as a negotiation coach or, or a facilitator, I will ask parties to write down um, on one page only, right? Mm. I, I won't even say the word agenda. I'll say, what are the things you think you need to talk through with the other party for this dispute to be over, All right? I remember now. That substance that we talk about in the first episode. Well, it could, it's, it's often usually substance, but they're also free to add in other things as well, right? right? They could, they could, you know, they could in put in some, you know, I want an apology. That's a relational uh, point. They could put in, it's really important for us. We need to talk about the confidentiality of any outcome. Well, that's actually a process point. We want to deal with this confidentially, for example. Um, but you're right. Um, primarily they put in, you know, what's important, but I, I always try to, to, to keep it short because I want them to think, and I, I say, I'm going to share this with the other party, right? So they know, first of all, the other party's going to see this. We're going to see theirs as well. Mm. And we've only got one page, size 12 font, these size margins. Don't try and squeeze it in, right? So that they try to get to the point. But of course, these agendas, like you said, they're not fixed. Right? Mm. We've got a sense of what they want to talk about. And that helps both parties prepare for what will ultimately be talked about. Yeah, in effect, you're actually a third-party facilitator. Yeah. yeah, and you take control of the process, therefore, and can help with the agenda. And you're right, that can, if parties say, oh, look, the topics that I think are really important are going to be discussed. That's what you're really talking about, Christine. That can encourage people to come. Yeah, this remind me about the expert determinations mm-hmm. that we do. Very often, we are appointed by both parties. Okay, so we report to both of them. We gather documents from them to actually come up um, with a conclusion, okay, by considering the facts by both parties. So we 
effectively we are working as good as a facilitator in that case, right? Exactly. Exactly. Sometimes it can also be useful uh, to think about um, hybrid negotiations. Ooh, yes. For example, if someone says, well, you know, I'm, not, I'm really reluctant to jump on a plane and, and, and turn up at these negotiations, you might, t- you know, talk about, well, you know, what would make it easier for you, right? Joining Zoom call, um, yeah, through a Zoom call or Teams or, you know, e- even, you know, via sort of a, they don't want to be there, f- there visually, um, yeah. just by phone. And that can, that can make a difference for people. Yes. That's right. Especially when you talk about the observer point, mm-hmm. because given that there's no contributions to the, not, no specific verbal contribution to the, uh, to the matter. So maybe it's quite, um, good that actually the person can do it hybridly. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I think I think that's exactly right. Yeah, this sounds like you can actually generate ideas on how to bring the parties uh, to the negotiation tables through your de- negotiation process. You know, through who you want to bring to the negotiation tables and who can bring the parties to the negotiation tables. So, seems like the again the key message is preparations. Preparation will be the key of bringing the party to the negotiation negotiated tables and maintain the relationship between the parties, right? Yeah, I think that's right. And I think, you know, we've generated a couple of ideas, but there are many more. I mean, sometimes as you know, as experts, you'll be contacting the parties and I as a mediator would be contacting the parties, which makes it more neutral. You know, right. And I think one of my messages would be, be creative, mm. right? And, uh, and, and don't give up. I've had situations where one party wanted to attend and, and, and the other people at the negotiation said no. And that person said, well, I'll come and wait outside, right? Yeah. And, and again, sometimes that would make a difference or not, or, or let that p- person in just for parts of the negotiation, right? So I, uh, so I think creativity is the key and preparation, as you say. Yeah, that reminds me about my involvement in some negotiation mm-hmm. as well. So we won't be in the renegotiation uh, room. So, but we are on standby outside the room. Yes. Yeah. So because, um, they do not want to feel, uh, try to intimidate the other party, mm-hmm. but whenever they need to consult us, so we are always available. Yeah. So just now we spoke about cross-cultural issues and issue remains as a prevalent issues. Do join us next time for a discussion on the cross-cultural communications in the context of negotiation. And speaking of cross-cultural negotiations and cross-cultural disputes, um, listeners, I'd like to invite you to complete our CIDRA survey on international dispute resolution. How do you resolve your cross-border commercial disputes? whether it's negotiation, mediation, arbitration, litigation, or some other mechanism, we'd love to hear from you. You can find the survey in the next Control Risk Legal and Compliance Insights newsletter. To find out more on how we assist clients in every stage of dispute, you can visit our website or download our dispute advisory brochure on this podcast channel. Thank you. See you soon. enjoyed this episode, make sure to subscribe. And be sure to check out our other podcasts as well, such as Decrypt, the podcast making sense of the cyber and technology issues impacting business. For all our analysis and information about services we offer to organizations worldwide, visit controlrisks.com.